If you want to open to the book of Ephesians, actually I want to read something to you from chapter 4 before we get into the the text this morning. Uh, Just a a few words of general encouragement and uh, thankfulness for you uh, as the congregation. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 15 and 16, these are a couple of verses about the church and serving in the church because I want to encourage you to be involved in the body and in the life of the body. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 15 and 16, you know this book of Ephesians teaches us a lot about the church. We find in verse, chapters 1 through 3 the unity in the church is through Christ and then chapters 4 through 6 how that unity in the church and then in the world is lived out. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice there the idea of the body and each part working properly. One of the ways we want to encourage you to be involved in the body is we have a, a list of various opportunities for you to serve. And it's available out there on the round table. And there, is a, there are just a lot of ways you can be involved. So let me encourage you to take one of those. If you have questions about these, you can call us at the office. You can call me. Uh, but we want to see you involved and engaged uh, in the body. Everybody, by God's grace, has different gifts. And those gifts are used to build up the body. So be using those gifts for the good of the church. Also on that, uh, as we're approaching the end of the year, let me encourage you about giving, uh, because over the summer, uh, our giving was great. Praise God for that. So thank you for faithfully giving to support the, the church's ministry. But also let me encourage you to continue to give as we end the year, so Lord willing, we can, we can meet our budget. Uh, we want to do things in our budget for the glory of God, making disciples and doing evangelism, missions work, These are the primary things we want to use our money for in the church, the things the Bible directs us to. And that's a way all of us work together to use our money for the good of God's work. Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, we're working our way through verses 3 to 14, which is one of the longest sentences in the New Testament. It's a long and in-depth sentence about salvation. It's about salvation, which is always one of the most important subject matters that we discuss in the church and in the Christian life. And one author likened this sentence to a symphony where there are beautiful parts in and of themselves, like the, the different instruments in and of themselves make a beautiful sound, but when, they're com- when they come together, it's even all the more grand and powerful. And that's why you have in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, these different blessings from God with regard to our salvation. That's, that's why it begins in chapter 1 and verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Literally, that blessed be the God is a, is a call for, for God's people, for the church to praise God. And then he goes through this litany, this list of all the ways God has blessed us or many of the ways God has blessed us in salvation. And I had hoped to finish the sentence this morning um, taking verses 13 and 14, but I decided I'm just going to focus on part of 13. 
And next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and assurance. I think that needs its own sermon. (laughs) There is so much confusion about the Holy Spirit and a lot of confusion about assurance of salvation. These are such important matters. And so much confusion about that. I, I want to give an entire sermon to verse 14. So this morning, we're going to be looking at 13. I'm going to read them both because they go together. So I don't like to separate them, but in this case, I'm going to. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Notice how it begins, in him. That's been a consistent theme through these verses, that the blessings we have from God come to us through Christ. And it's in Christ that we have and that we experience these blessings. He's the reason we're saved. He is how we're saved. Or as John says in John 14, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. So we recognize the centrality of Jesus. It is in him. And again, this is one of the great values of the book of Ephesians. I would, I would encourage you to, to take a colored pencil or something and go through the entire book of Ephesians and, and make a mark of every reference to Jesus Christ. It is just literally everywhere. And these in him statements are found all through these early verses, a reminder to Christians, here are the amazing blessings you have, and we always want to be reminded how we have them, and through whom we have them, Jesus Christ, in him. But how do you receive these blessings? Okay, if he is the way, how do you come into the way? How do you receive these blessings? How did you as a Christian receive them? That's what the passage we're looking at this morning explains in detail. Look at it in verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So we're talking about salvation. And first of all, in thinking about salvation, you need to see the importance of the word. You see the importance of the word. Look at it there. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth. Notice the word heard. You heard the word. You heard the gospel. You heard about Jesus. In Romans 10, Romans 10 is one of the great explanations of why we carry out missionary endeavors to other nations and to people who have never heard about Jesus. Because the lo- part of the logic in Romans 10 is, how can they believe in him whom they've never heard? We want people to believe, but they can't believe if they don't hear. So we take the gospel to other people, and the reason is, the conclusion of that logic in Romans 10 comes in verse 17, for faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And you see it here in this verse. It's when you heard the word of truth. It's, it's through hearing. Many of you are familiar with John Bunyan's allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, you should. It's the second best-selling book in history besides the Bible. And Bunyan wrote another allegory that's not as well known, and it's called The Holy War. 
And the holy war is an allegory essentially about the battle for the souls of men. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a grand theme. And, and it features the king, Emmanuel. And it features the, the allegory for man is the town or the city of Mansoul. And Mansoul has rebelled against the king, and, and this town is under the sway of the devil. And how is the king, Emmanuel, going to reclaim the city? And the way the king, Emmanuel, reclaims the city of Mansoul is through the ear gate. It's because faith comes by hearing. The people need to hear the word of God, the gospel. And notice it's the word. The word is tangible. It is objective. It is specific. The word is bound in language. Therefore, it's unchanging. You can't just willy-nilly change words in the Bible as you would, well, I really wish it said this. Or I, I maybe would have worded it differently. My goodness, people have done that throughout the generations. But praise God, God's word is bound in language. And it is unchanging. You think about the, the importance of the word in Jesus' ministry. Jesus, the very Son of God, over and over again, points to the word of God. When he's tempted by the devil at the beginning of his ministry, one of the things he says after quoting the word of God three times to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When Jesus is interacting with the men who would become his apostles, before he calls them, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's a reference to Jeremiah. Jesus is essentially showing what Jeremiah said would happen is happening through me. When Jesus is invited to teach in the synagogue where the Jews would gather to, to hear the word of God, Jesus opens the word of God, he teaches the word of God, and he shows them how the word of God is fulfilled in him. When Jesus exposes the, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and he exposes their legalism, that they're living according to man-made rules instead of the word of God, he says to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. This generation, this people, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If you study Jesus' ministry, at the heart of the way he does ministry is the word of God. And he himself fulfilling the word of God. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to me, it, it's funny, but it, it's sad, so it shouldn't be funny. But the Pharisees and Sadducees, they actually come together, these two groups that don't like each other, they come together and they try to trip Jesus up. Uh, they try to catch him in a logic trap. This is where they talk to him about, you know, paying taxes. And, and so they're going to bring up all this controversial stuff. And you know what Jesus replies to them? Psalm 110. And they're like, Jesus is essentially puts it back on them. Can you explain to me Psalm 110 how David says, the Lord said to my Lord? And of course they can't. It's the importance of the word of God in the life of David. If you'll go to the book of Acts, I want to show you some things in the book of Acts. I'm going to just give you a brief tour here of some things that are important in this book. We'll start in Acts 4. There's much more that we could show and say, but I want to show you how important the Word of God was in the life of the early church. You see it there in Ephesians. In him, when you heard the Word of truth. Paul calls the church, in relation to their salvation, to look to the Word of truth. Acts chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 4. 
where the scripture says, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Isn't that such a simple sentence? Look at the simplicity in that. They heard the word, they believed, and they're gathered to this number that we learn in chapter 5 is the church. This is simple. This is clear. And this is why Paul so clearly reminds them of this in Ephesians 1. It's when you heard the word of truth. This is how salvation came to you. This is how Jesus came to you. It's through the word. Well, there's much more. Look in chapter 4 and verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You see, the, the intent, the concern, the desire of the church there is to speak something specific. The word. Look at chapter 6 and verse 4. Chapter 6 and verse 4, where there's an issue that comes up in the church, but the apostles remain resolute in their determination to carry out their work. Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Go to chapter 8 of Acts. Chapter 8 of Acts and verse 4. You've got a lot of fours here. It can help you remember maybe. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Now those who were scattered about went about preaching the word. Isn't that so clear? What they're proclaiming. It's the word. Look at chapter 12 and verse 24. Chapter 12 and verse 24. This is just one of those summary statements in Acts that you'll find scattered throughout the, the book. But the word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God is spreading. The word of God is going forth. It's multiplying. One more example from Acts, Acts 18, 5. Acts 18 and verse 5. Now this is Paul's missionary work. What does a missionary do? How does a missionary engage in their work? Well, where do you learn? Well, the, the answer to that is the Bible. Look at how Paul the apostle engaged in his missionary work. What's he doing in Acts 18 verse 5? When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. When Paul writes his last letter to Timothy, Timothy who's a pastor in the church who was struggling, the emphasis over and over again in 2 Timothy is the word. Look at, this is the verse that essentially Awana takes their name from, 2 Timothy 2.15, which is an important paradigm for, for every pastor. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. It's the same phrase that we have in Ephesians 1. The pastors, at the heart of what they do, are supposed to be rightly handling, rightly dividing, straight-cutting the word of truth. Of God. In 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul goes on to command Timothy. After what is the, the strongest oath in the New Testament, Paul commands Timothy, after putting it under oath before God and Christ, preach the word. That's what's supposed to be proclaimed. Here Paul calls the Ephesians to remember it was when you heard the word of truth. Now notice the word truth. That speaks to the word's character. It's true. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. It's dependable. 
Again, simply study the teaching of Jesus and how Jesus deals with the word, how he interacts with the word. Jesus will never give you any reason to doubt the word of God. In fact, all to the contrary. He says in John's gospel, the scripture must be fulfilled. Jesus gives you every reason to trust the word of God as God's people throughout history have been called to trust the word of God. Even in the Old Testament. Look at the Old Testament perspective on the word of God in Psalm 12:6. Keep in mind, in the worship literature of God's people, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Over and over again, you see the purity of the word. It's the word of truth. That's how you're in him. Now, the way this plays out and why this is so important is because salvation is so important. And if a person is to be saved, they are, to, they are saved through the word of God. This is the means by which salvation comes. This great truth, this great important work, salvation, comes through the means of the word of God. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25. Look at what he says to these Christians. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Notice, by the way there, through the living and abiding word of God. I love these, these adjectives they give to the word of God. Peter uses living and abiding. Paul uses truth. But notice you're, you're born again through the word of God. It's the means. Let me read on what Peter goes on to say to give you more reason to believe and trust and have Respect for the word of God. Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You see the importance of the word in salvation. Secondly, you see the importance of the gospel. Look at what he goes on to say. He defines this word he gets more specific as he goes along in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The gospel. It's a word that means good news. That it, it's good news that God saves sinners. That Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He was raised the third day according to the scripture to save sinners. That's good news because all of us are sinners. We're going to get more of a, a sense of the gravity of the depth of our sin when we get to Ephesians chapter 2. But here we see in regard to our sal salvation, it's through the word of truth. It's through specifically the gospel. It's a very simple message about Jesus and what Jesus did, who Jesus is is and why it came. This, this is how people enter into the blessings of salvation. It's through the gospel, this simple, clear message. Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This message about Jesus, that's the power of God. God's power operates in and through this message to bring about salvation, born again through the word of truth. Here, we're called to remember that. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, notice it's the gospel of 
your salvation. It's the way salvation comes about. It's the gospel salvation. That's why it is so, so important. That's why, like uh, many of you who've been here, uh, you've heard me beat the drum for years about the importance and centrality of the Word of God because the Bible teaches that. Uh, I, I say to, people, the most, to me, the most important thing uh, you know as a church member is the gospel. To me, that's the most important thing I want every church member to know is the gospel about Jesus and what he did and how we can be saved through him. We see the importance of the gospel, the word of God, the word of truth. Now, again, I think it's, it's worthy of repetition and emphasis because it's emphasized in scripture. In this great sentence about salvation, it's emphasized through the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And it concerns me that this very clear fact, you saw it in Acts, how simple and clear it was. I think this importance of God's word and the gospel is actually being obscured today in church. It's bizarre to me. But the, the reason why I bring this up again, and we'll continue to bring it up, is because I think we all need to be equipped to recognize this and deal with this. And you need to be equipping your children to recognize this and deal with this. Likely your children are going to go to another church one day in time. They're not going to be under your care anymore. How are they going to find a church? What are they going to look for? What's important in a church? For instance, the centrality of the word of God and the centrality of the gospel. These should be preeminent issues in considering a church. And again, it's my contention that in many churches today, these two essential things, the word of God and the gospel, are actually being obscured. What is clear in the scripture is being blurred. Not everywhere, but in many quarters. There is a diminishing attention to the word, and there is a diminishing attention to the clarity of the gospel. And the congregations are supposed to be on the front line of protecting the church from that. Obviously, pastors should be on the front line of making sure that doesn't happen. But again, I want to equip you. Well, you need to be able to have conversations with people who are involved in church where the gospel is not being proclaimed. Which again is just a bizarre thought, but it's real. It's real. I don't know how else to explain this, but to kind of caricature some preachers, because ultimately this falls ultimately at the responsibility of preachers and leaders. You look at the Old Testament, it's, it's, the, it's the, the priests and it's the prophets and it's the false prophets that, that, that God lays into and, and puts the blame ultimately and primarily on. So you see the preacher as motivational speaker, where the church weekly exists to motivate you in some way. And, and again, it's obviously evidenced in, in what is at least one of the largest churches in America, where you have Joel Osteen preaching, who affirms verbally he doesn't want to preach doctrine, he just wants to encourage people. Now, what's deceptive about that is, my goodness, I want to encourage people. <laughs> I want you to come to church and be encouraged. My goodness. But the question is, what will encourage people? What will encourage Christians? It's the gospel of the word of God. That will encourage you. Not, not some gifted speaker getting up and just using rhetoric to stir you up. That might get you through an hour. But it's the word of God. The, 
that should motivate us. Do I, do I want our church to be motivated? I want you to be motivated to serve. I want you to be excitedly, joyfully, thankfully serving God. How does that happen? I think it's got to be God who motivates us through his word. That's such a more powerful source of motivation than some man just using his natural gifts to try to stir you up. In the scripture, you see the importance of the word. You see the importance of the gospel. And so many churches are characterized by just a, a, essentially a person using rhetoric to stir people up with a diminishing attention to the word of God and the gospel. Another one that's been popular for a long time, it just, it just shows up in different forms, but it's been popular for a long time in America, uh, is the preacher is therapist. Uh, you know, preaching, we're not, preaching's out of vogue. We're not going to do preaching. We're going to do conversation. So we're just going to have conversations. And, and, you know, me as the preacher, not even called preacher anymore in some sectors, but I'm going to get up and I'm just going to share some advice. Let me, let me just share some, some of my life experience with you. Um, that's foolish on so many levels, it's hard to know where to start to address it. Number one, the, the, most, the, the most important reason why that is foolish is as if any advice a man could give would be more valuable or more important than what the Word of God says. That just does not make sense. What the Word of God says, what God says, the wisdom God reveals in His Word is always more valuable than the advice you could receive from anyone. So, so the, the, the therapy, that this idea that I've got some important things to tell you, it's really not based on the Word of God, or, or what I grew up with, what is so common, sadly, in Baptist life, is the reading of a verse of Scripture and then a sermon that has nothing to do with it at all. Preach the Word. Why? Why preach the Word? Because it's through the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation is how the blessings of God come to you. That's how you're saved. And that's what's so bizarre about this. One of the things that's bizarre about it is the question, why are churches doing this? Why are so-called preachers doing this? What, I, what I've called an obscuring or a blurring, a substituting, a subverting, a de-emphasizing of the word of God. Do you know why they do it? Many of them. Because they want to reach people. Now see, this is where Baptists have been tricked. Because Baptists as a people rightly value reaching people with the gospel. That is a good and right motive. That is a good and right motive. But think of how crazy it is to have your goal is reaching people, but to substitute or remove or de-emphasize or obscure or blur the very means by which God saves people. And this is, this is becoming the norm. And I just hope you see in the Scripture, the Scripture teaches the opposite. You know, the Word of God is and does what just the normal words of man or advice of man cannot do by its very nature. Look at what Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him in whom we must give an account. There's no words of man that can be described like that. 
Only the word of God, only the gospel has power to save. We see the importance of the word of God. We see the importance of the gospel. What do you do with those things, though? How do you enter into the way of Jesus? It's through faith. We see the importance of faith. Look at it in the text. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Hearing, hearing is not enough. You're saved through faith. You believe. The word believe and faith are the same word. Faith is a noun, believe is a, is a verb. You've believed in him. This is true of these Christians here. What does it look like to believe? What does it look like to, be, to believe? Well, it's not, let me tell you first a few things about what faith is not. Faith is not merely knowledge, like knowledge of facts. Knowledge of facts are required for faith. You've got to know things about Jesus. You've got to know the gospel before you can believe it. Again, how can, how can they believe in whom they've never heard? So, so there is knowledge, and obviously there's an essential place for that, but it's more than that. Faith is more than know, knowing facts. Faith is more than just cognitive understanding. Oh, I understand how that works, what Jesus did. I understand how, okay, you believe in him, then you're saved and made right by God. I understand how you're saying that works. That doesn't mean you're, you've believed. James 2.19, James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And what James is trying to do in James 2 is show there is a belief that does not save. There's a belief that does not save. There's a faith that is not a saving faith. Well, what is it then? Well, it's more than mere recognition. There's a lot of people who recognize Jesus. Nicodemus recognized Jesus. The Pharisees were standing right before him. Yeah, understand, if you read Mark's gospel, the demons know who Jesus is. You are, they call him the Holy, Holy One of God. So it's more than just recognizing him, it's reliance on him. I am relying on Jesus to bring me to God to forgive me of my sins. It's not just I'm acknowledging he's the one. I'm relying on him. It's, it's more than just a decision. It's dependence. Dependence. This is another place we've gone afoul with good with good motivations, oftentimes, this emphasis that's come into Baptist life about just a one-time decision. Friends, show me that in Scripture. What you will find in Scripture is a heartfelt, dire motivation and urge to see people saved. That's right. Paul in Romans 9 wants to see the Jews saved and believe the gospel. That heartfelt desire and motivation is right. But any idea that salvation is just about a one-time thing you do and that's it is from the pit. And essentially what that's created is inflated numbers and confused people. Just simply look at what Jesus calls people to do. Jesus calls people to follow him, which means believe what he says, follow his teaching, obey him, follow him. Friends, faith by definition, obeys the commands of God. 
And one of the things that's so important about Ephesians 1 and what it lays out and the genius of the scripture is faith precedes obedience. That is clearly seen just in this book. This is why this book portrays such a clear picture of salvation and the Christian life. What you've got in chapter 1, 3 to 14. Read verses 3 to 14. You're going to find what God did. You're going to see the emphasis there on God's work. You're going to see the emphasis there on grace. You see the, the emphasis in place on you believing the gospel, what God has done. That's the foundation of the book. But then guess what? That's not all the book. Because in chapter 4, he begins with the commands. Here's how you should live now that you're saved. You should put off the old man. So this gospel, the fact of your salvation, carries with it or follows after it commands to follow and obey. This is why when we rightly understand baptism is a command that, is, that we obey after we've believed. Why would you be baptized if you didn't believe? I'm being baptized because this is what Jesus wants me to do. He says to do it in his word. I mean, why would I give up lying? Like Ephesians 4 talks about. Well, because I'm following Jesus, and guess what? Jesus says, quit lying. This is a, a good reason. For, for children who become Christians, this is why they obey their parents, because they're following Jesus. Now it's not only because they're your they're parents. That's a, that's a reason why you obey them. They're your authority figures given by God. But if you're a Christian, and you're in your household... You have an even more important reason to, to obey your parents because of Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Now it's a matter of your following Jesus and obeying the word of God. You don't do that so that you can be saved. You do that because you have been saved. That's why the book of Ephesians is so, I think, enlightening and why it begins with grace and it begins with God. But then that doesn't mean that it doesn't require belief or require obedience. It does. Friends, any idea of living the Christian life apart from obeying God is, is false. That is, that is not the way the Bible portrays faith. Faith yields, when faith is real, it yields obedience. Now, let me read this again in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit comes through faith. And that'll be next time. <laughs> That's going to take a while to unfold. The Spirit comes when we have faith in God. But do you see this sentence? Do you see the beautiful simplicity of this? Look at how simple this is. You heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. And believed. So That's so simple. And that's what, that's what we believe, isn't it? In this room. That's, that's who we are. That's why we're here. Because we've heard the word, the gospel, and we've believed. It's so simple. Why, what part of that needs to be obscured or, or changed in the, or, or altered or diminished? It's so clear. It's so simple. And I hope you see from the passage the importance of God's word, the importance of the gospel, and the importance of faith, trusting in Jesus. Faith is denying self. I, I recognize I can't do it. I can't get myself to God. I need another, and Jesus is the one. I rely wholly and fully on him. This is what you should call out to God. 
for. If you're not a Christian, you should recognize I have no chance of living a right life, pleasing God. I have no chance in and of myself of doing that. I need Jesus. I, I trust Jesus and him alone and him wholly and fully and truly. I'm relying on him. I'm depending on him. My confidence is in him. It's in him. He's my hope. Jesus. In him these blessings come. And you should call on him today. You should not trust yourself. You should call on Jesus if you've been trusting in something else. There are, there are sadly hundreds of confused people in our community that are trusting in some 20 years ago, one-time decision. They were told they're saved and they don't know anything about Jesus. They're not following him. They think they're saved because they were told that by somebody. You've got to be able to talk to a person like that graciously and show them what the scripture says. Faith alone? Absolutely! But what does that look like? What is that? The importance of God's word keeps the church on track. The importance of the gospel keeps the church focused. The importance of faith calls for our response and defines our response as reliance and trust in Jesus alone. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of your word. I pray it would powerfully affect our lives in such a way that we would proclaim the good news of Jesus to other people. And God, for so many that are confused in our midst, that we'd be able to wisely clarify what your word says about the most important subject matter, salvation through Jesus Christ. So God, give us courage and boldness to do that. Open doors for your word to enable us to do that, Lord. Help us, God, I pray for those who aren't convinced that they would Search the scriptures to see if these things are so. And God, that as we study your word, we would see the, what it says. And we would realize the importance of your word, the importance of the gospel, and the importance of faith in Jesus' name. Amen.